Block AC, how we doing tonight? Let's go, come on. I was not going to say anything, but let's go Chiefs, come on. Yeah, let's go. It's here for the Chiefs. We're not playing tonight, which is very sad. But I'll get over it, okay? Uh, guys, I'm, I'm excited to be back with you guys tonight. Um, bear with me on this, all right? I was in India drinking a milkshake with my roommate, okay? You're like, weird way to start a story. But we were drinking our chocolate chip cookie dough milkshake. Milkshakes. There were two of them. We were not sharing a milkshake. <laughs> that would have been weird. Uh, and we look over, and I don't know if you guys have spent much time around high schoolers, but there's a word that I like to describe high schoolers as sometimes, and it's squirrely. And uh, you guys all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> These were the squirreliest, nuttiest high schoolers that I have ever seen. They're like staring at us and just giggling and laughing and like pushing each other and like pointing at us. And I'm just sitting there trying to enjoy my milkshake, but I think it's kind of funny. And so I go over to them and I walk up and I just go, hey, like, what's up, guys? Can I help you with something? And one guy sticks out his hand. He goes, what country, bro? And I shook his hand. I'm like, oh, he wants to know where I'm from. And so I'm like, United States. And I'm like, what country are you from? And he laughs. He thinks that's so funny. He's like, India, obviously. And so we start speaking in his local language, and we're going back and forth. I find out his name is Haresh, and I tell him my name's Nick. And as we're speaking to one another, he cuts me off just mid-sentence and goes, bro, what color is your Lamborghini? I was floored. I was like, uh, hey, Haresh, my guy, I don't have a Lamborghini. And he just, he's dead serious. He's like, no, like, what color is it? And I, I laugh again, and I'm like, this guy's just messing with me. And I'm like, Harash, my dude, I do not own a Lamborghini. And he looks at me and goes, bro, I've seen Fast and the Furious. I know all Americans own Lamborghinis. <laughs> and I'm just so taken aback by this. I'm like, there's so much that I don't understand about that comment. Like, I've seen Fast and the Furious. Not even all the cars in that are Lamborghinis. I'm just like, do you know that? Like, and then I'm like, much less, I'm like, hey, do you think Bollywood movies are real? And he's like, no. And I'm like, so do you think Hollywood movies are real? He's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, so you're telling me that you think, like, Captain America is a real movie? He's like, no. I'm like, but Fast and Furious is. And he's like, yeah. And we start going back and forth. And the more I'm trying to tell him, hey, not all Americans have Lamborghinis. In fact, very few Americans have Lamborghinis. And he is just, he won't believe me. Like, he's just shutting me down. He's like, bro, why won't you tell me? Like, I'm holding out on him. And eventually I get to this point where I just look at him, and I'm like, bro, let me tell you why I don't have a Lamborghini. And he, like, finally looks at me. And I was like, it's because I sold it for a Porsche. <laughs> just kidding. That's because I told him it's financially irresponsible to own one, and if you get a vehicle, you should get a truck. That's what I said. And Haresh, I walked away from him. After shaking his hand, I looked back, and just the, the, the sign of a crushed face, I was just so sad. I was like, man, I just ruined this entire guy's worldview of America. But the, the reality is, is that Haresh had, he had this stereotype of Americans in his mind. And it, it wasn't a bad one, right? It was just that we all are rich and have Lamborghinis. And the fact was, but it was entirely unfounded on something that was not in reality. And that's why tonight, when we're starting our new series called Stereotypical, we're going to be looking at a bunch of stereotypes that people have. And specifically, we're going to be looking at stereotypes that people have of Christians, because a lot of times we find that these stereotypes that people have, either one, they don't come from a good source, or two, they don't apply to everyone like they might think. 
And hey, this isn't a PR campaign, right? Like I'm not trying to uh, just like bump the increase or the bump the view of the church. But in fact, this is important, not because it's a PR thing, but because if we call ourselves Christians, it means that we are saying that we are a representation of Jesus in the world. And so when the world looks at us, they base their view of God and of Jesus in the Bible based off of how we live. And so we're going to be looking tonight at the stereotype that Christians are judgmental. And unfortunately, hey, maybe some of you guys, you share this view because you've met this guy. Because unfortunately, they really do exist. Like maybe you're thinking of them right now. And they just kind of look down on everyone else. And they act like they're perfect, even though you know they're not. And in general, they're just like really unpleasant, kind of grumpy, unloving people. I don't know if maybe you've met that guy. On the flip side, maybe you look at the teachings of the Bible and you think, hey, like, Christians believe that, and that's way too restrictive, therefore Christians are judgmental because they believe it's true. But in reality, being judgmental, it comes from an incorrect view of ourselves and of, of others and of God. That's where being judgmental comes from, from not seeing ourselves, God, or other people correctly. And so it's important because if you're here tonight and you are a follower of Jesus, it is God's plan for you to use you as an image of him in the world. And so we have to be able to represent Christ in an accurate way to the rest of the world. And if you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, God's plan is that when you see his people, the church, Christians, that you would see a reflection of how loving and holy and set apart that he is. And that you would get to experience and see the abundance of eternal life, the joy and the, Christian, or in the, in the peace that God offers to those who follow him. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, that is what God wants you to see. And, and just in reality, there is a lot of judgment in the world. A lot of times people like to make themselves feel better by pointing the finger at others. And they say, hey, because you voted that way, I'm so much better than you. Or, hey, because you engage in that activity, I'm so much better than you. Or, because you hang out with those people, or you spend your money that way, or because you believe that, I'm better than you. And the goal of that isn't often to find what's actually true or beneficial to other people, but people just like to puff themselves up and make themselves feel better. Because deep down, they're insecure about who they really are. And so tonight, we're going to be looking at a story of Jesus interacting with two very, very different people. And we're going to see how he clearly communicates truth to them, but also at how welcoming and forgiving and loving he is. And we're going to learn from this story about how do we view God, how do we view ourselves, and how do we view others around us. And hey, if you are here tonight and the Bible is new to you, first of all, we'd love to get you one. Uh, you can stop by the connection table. I feel like everyone I talk to, if it's your first time, we also have these sweet cups. Go get one. Get yourself a Bible. We would honestly love to get you one. And if you don't know much about God's word, it's our goal that this would be a place that you could sincerely learn what does the Bible actually say and who is Jesus? What does he say about himself? And so we're going to walk through this story together. If you're not super familiar with the Bible, don't fret. We're just going to walk through it. I think it will really come alive in a way that is maybe new, or I would just encourage you to look at it from a perspective that you haven't seen before. I could not say that word perspective just now. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started. God, I, I pray just first and foremost, God, for us to have humble hearts. God, I pray that each of us would be able to begin to see ourselves more clearly uh, God, I pray that we would see you for who you are and how loving and perfect and holy and amazing you are, and that we'd be able to look at other people and see how do we see them in light of who you are and in light of how we are. 
And God, if there's been people that have been hurt by judgmental Christians or people who call themselves Christians, God, I pray that you would use tonight to, to heal, God, not the image of the church or Christians, but of you. God, that, that people would be able to experience the forgiveness and the love that you offer. And God, I, just, I pray that I would teach all these things clearly as I should from your word. And I love you and I'm so grateful for you and I pray all these things through Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all, we're going to be in Luke 7, 36 through 50. So if you do have a Bible, you can flip there. Uh, again, if you want to get one, you can scroll there on, your, uh, on a phone or something like that. I almost called it a device. No one calls it a device. That would be weird. Uh, but Luke 7, 36 through 50. This is the story. It starts off, it says, Now one of the Pharisees, Simon, asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went into the Pharisee's house. And took his place at the table. So that's our story tonight. It's Jesus goes to a dinner party. Sounds kind of fun, right? But if you start to know a little bit more about this story, you know, okay, Simon is a Pharisee. Who exactly are the Pharisees? So the Pharisees were actually the religious elite of that day. Uh, they were the people who interpreted God's laws to other people. And they were not really doing a good job. Jesus had a lot of very hard things to say to these people. Uh, because the main issue was that rather than relating to people or helping them to find hope in God's law, they basically saw themselves as pretty much superior in every single way. And they looked down on the commoners because of their lifestyle or their choices or their education or their money. So basically, they were the New York Yankees or the New England Patriots. That's who they were. Uh, but they knew the truth of God's word and his commands, and they, they viewed themselves as having authority over it and over everyone else rather than God's word having authority over them. And Pharisees would do this really fun thing, this is sarcasm, where they would invite people over and have these huge feasts and debate huge theological issues, which just sounds like exactly what you want to do. You think of like Thanksgiving where you're talking about politics with your family, and you're like, yes, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to go have theological arguments with people over dinner. That sounds so fun. But they would do this, and this is, this is the crazy thing. If you already don't like these guys, like, you're going to like them less. Uh, they have houses that are partially open so that the common folks and peasants could come and watch them eat and talk. So people would literally show up for entertainment and just watch them eat and watch them talk about all these things. Because there really wasn't much else to do. And the Pharisees kind of had this comment, there's a corner market on God's word. And so if people wanted to learn, that's where they had to go. And so they would go and listen to these people. Uh, I found this quote. It says, because the word Pharisee, it actually means to separate. Simon was experienced at respecting the spiritual rank of his guests. At this ga gathering, he would be expected to greet guests differently and designate space for uninvited onlookers. So his whole job is to be able to determine, okay, you're this level spiritual. You sit here. You sit here. And you can go stand outside. And that was his job as a host. And this is where Jesus finds himself. He's reclining at the table. Uh, I don't, they ate in a very different way. There would be like a low table, and they would kind of lay down, and their feet would be pointing away from it. I'm not sure how that works with, like, swallowing. I don't know if you guys ever try to drink water laying down. I feel like I always choke. Maybe something's just wrong with me. I'm not entirely sure. But uh, that's how they ate. And so Jesus does this, and this is the, the situation and how our story starts. It's at this dinner party. Jesus is laying down at this Pharisee's house eating dinner. Verse 37 says, then when a woman of that town who was a sinner, and this, the word sinner there, it is a euphemism for the fact that she's a prostitute. It just is. Either she's a prostitute or she's the girl in town that every guy knows 
hey, I can go sleep with this girl because it'll be really easy to do that. And everyone knows it. Everyone knows who she is. And that's just the euphemism that they would use for prostitutes. And see, first of all, we have to start with this, this issue that God actually does have a very clear design for sex. And it's a gift within marriage. And so to use it of, of anything else causes a lot of pain and unintended consequences. And so growing up in a Jewish community, uh, she, the prostitute, and everyone else would know that to be a prostitute is sinful. And that's how she's been living for her entire life. And not only that, but men have been using her for their own pleasure, which is also very sinful and evil. And this just creates this cycle of shame and, and punishment and, and evil and shame and sin. And it's just so far away from what God intended. And that's where the woman finds, himself, her, finds herself. But she's heard about Jesus. And, she, and Jesus taught very clearly about how sex was designed for marriage. And everyone who's actually not following God's teachings on that is committing adultery. Jesus was very open about that. But he's also teaching that there's hope for these people. And so she just knows, hey, I need to go see Jesus. I've heard these teachings. I know how I'm living is wrong, and I need to go see Jesus. So it says, then when a woman of that town who was a sinner learned that Jesus was at dinner at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfumed oil. Now, I want you to put yourself in her shoes, right? Think about how much courage that would take to show up at this place. Like, she has to work her way through the crowds of people that are surrounding this house. And she is probably trying to squeeze her way past men who have slept with her and used her. Uh, that she's seduced, probably past women whose husbands have cheated on their, their wives with her. Past moms that are shielding their kids away from this prostitute. And she is going into the house of someone who is absolutely disgusted by her. And that is what this woman is doing just to come to Jesus. She's pushing her way past all these people. And then she comes in and she does something that makes Simon and honestly probably a lot of us very uncomfortable. It says that as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and anointed them with perfumed oil. And a lot of you guys are probably like, what is going on here? Like, that is crazy. That's really weird. Maybe it's some, like, cultural thing that they did in that day. No, it's not. Like, that was not normal then or now. Uh, but she, she comes and she's doing this. And we have to ask ourselves, okay, why is she doing this? And she's falling down at, at Jesus' feet because she knows that she's not worthy to come into the presence of God and stand. And she just knows that she's not good enough. And she knows that because of what she's doing, she is basically begging that Jesus does, does something to help her. Because Jesus has been teaching that people need to turn away and repent from their sin, and you can see that she's desperate, right? Like you can see that she is crying, she is weeping so much that she can clean off Jesus' dusty feet with her tears and with her hair. And not only that, but the perfume, which would have cost her probably thousands of dollars to buy, she's using it on his feet. Like, in that day, perfume was so expensive that only the very rich or prostitutes would buy it. And the rich would, would do it so that they could smell nice, but prostitutes would wear perfume so that people would know that they were available. And that was kind of one of the ways that they would signal to people, hey, I'm, I'm open to sell my body to you. And she's weeping and she's crying and cleaning off Jesus' feet. 
And she is taking something that she knows that she earned through doing very, very bad things. And she is putting it at Jesus' feet. And Simon the Pharisee, who's invited Jesus, saw this. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman is touching him, that she's a sinner. And so Simon sees this, and he is just absolutely disgusted. He's like, how on earth? One, why is she even here? Two, why is Jesus even letting her touch him? Like, if this guy's legit, or if this guy can't be legit, there's no way. Because if he knew who she was, he would not even be giving her the time of day. And Simon starts to do the very thing that most people assume Christians do. He judges her. And not only that, but he looks down on Jesus too. And what do we take away from this? That a judgmental person has low view of others. Simon, the Pharisee, looks down on the woman because she's a prostitute. And she also looks down, he also looks down on Jesus because Simon is like, there's no way that Jesus should be accepting this woman. Because he's thinking, what kind of man of God could possibly accept a prostitute? Right? Does, she know, does he know what she's done? She's absolutely worthless and a danger to our society. There is no hope for her. And Simon is just sitting there thinking this in his mind. But look at how Jesus responds. It says, so Jesus answered him. First of all, he read his mind because Simon thought these things to himself. So Jesus just looks at him and goes, Simon, I have something to say to you. And the Pharisee replies, say it, teacher. And this Pharisee, he's showing some outward respect. He's calling Jesus teacher. Inwardly, he's just been mocking him. But he's like, oh, yeah, say it, teacher. You're so great. Just such a two-faced guy. And Jesus tells him this story. It says, a certain creditor had two debtors. One owed him 500 silver coins. That would be the approximate equivalent today of $45,000. It's a lot of money. And the other, 50, which if you divide by 10, is $4,500. Easy math. Jesus says, when they could not pay, he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Now, maybe some of you guys have school debt, or maybe you bought a car, or you have a mortgage, and you're thinking right now, like, man, if someone came up and just slapped 45K in my hands, I'd be really happy. Uh, you can imagine how freeing that would be. I mean, if someone came up and gave me $4,500, I would still be very happy. But especially if that's a debt, and you know if you have debt, it's hanging over you, and it weighs a lot, and you're just like, man, I just want to be free of this. And Jesus is saying that there's these two people. One has this massive debt, and one of them has a smaller debt. And then Jesus, after saying this little story, he turns to the woman, and he says, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet back in the day. It was very dirty, and it was customary to offer your guests a place to wash their feet. And Simon didn't do any of that. But Jesus says that she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. He says, you gave me no kiss of greeting. That was also very customary to do in the time. You would welcome your guests with a kiss. And Jesus says, from the time I entered, she has not stopped kissing my feet. He says, you did not anoint my head with oil but she has anointed my feet with perfumed oil. And Jesus starts to call out the Pharisee and praise the woman. He calls out the Pharisee for not really caring about Jesus as his guest. Y'all, judgmental people don't just have a low view of others, they have a low view of God. 
How do we know? Because judgment comes from pride. And pride is a sin where we set ourselves up over God. And so if I'm going to look at someone else and say, on account of your sin, I'm better than you, I, one, not only think I'm better than that person, but two, I think I'm better than God because I'm the person who judges instead of God who's the only one that we can have debt to. God is the only one who judges sin. And, y'all, Simon, he just, he just wanted Jesus there for the appearance, right? Like, he did not really care. He just wanted the clout and the reputation. And people do this all the time, right? Some people, they go to church and they have no love for Jesus. They just want to appear a certain way or they want the status or the community or the image that it gives. But they are ultimately there for themselves. They are just there so that they look better. And they have this view of God that God is just there to get them what they want instead of seeing themselves as someone who, because of their sin, owes God a great debt. And a lot of people honestly do this in other ways. Christians aren't the only ones who do this. They get on social media and they make tons of posts about how everyone else around them is so evil and hateful and crazy for voting that way. Or how they know better and they totally ignore their own sin and brokenness and debt towards God. A lot of times people, honestly, they like to hide their, their, own, their view of their own sin by exposing the sin of others. Judgmental people will look at someone and think, hey, if I can just make everyone else look elsewhere, no one will see my own sin. And then they start to lie to themselves and they start to think, hey, I'm actually not that bad. Because they spent so much time looking at every single person around them, thinking, that's wrong with you, that's wrong with you, that's wrong with you, that's wrong with you. That they never actually allow God to work on their own hearts. And so someone comes along who's sinning, and a lot of times, if we're honest, we kind of like to point the finger at them because it makes us feel better about ourselves. I think we're all guilty of this in many ways. I heard it said that people don't like, people, we don't like people sinning differently than us. It's true. And this is how Simon sees everyone, but look at what Jesus says about this woman. He encourages her act of worship and love towards him, even though it's uncomfortable and even though she's not even invited to this party. And look at how much she loves Jesus. Like, she doesn't view Jesus as judgmental because he showed her her sin or told her how she was living was wrong. Because he does it from a place of love. She knows that she'll be valued by Jesus. And that's the thing. It's not judgmental for Jesus or anyone to call sin, sin. Because sin is evil, and God is very, very clear about that. But God also offers forgiveness and love when we turn away from sin. And so this woman, she's not, she's not upset that Jesus has told her, hey, the way that you're living is wrong. She knows that. She doesn't say, hey, that's so judgmental of you, Jesus. How could you say that? Instead, she's like, I just want to love this guy who pointed this out to me because he promised that he'll love me and forgive me. Now, this is the reality that a mature Christian has a correct view of themselves and of God. And a mature Christian has a view of themselves as being the one with the greater debt. That if you are a follower of Jesus, you look at yourself and you think, that's me. I'm the one with the $45,000 debt. And honestly, everyone else around me, I kind of think they're better. Because we don't see the weight of everyone's sin as well as we see the weight of ourselves if we're honest and we're from our mature believers. And then Jesus says something very, very radical. It says in verse 47, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven because of that she loved much. Think about this. A woman for whom most, if not all of her life, has either been treated as an object 
of personal use by men, an object of disgust by Pharisees, a competitor to other prostitutes, a traitor to other women. She is finally experiencing love from a man who is saying, I value you and I will forgive you. And she hears from Jesus that she is loved by God so much that God would come and take away that burden and call her to repentance. That the life that she has felt trapped by, she is finally free from. And there's a way out. And everything that's been happening, she doesn't have to stay there anymore. Y'all, the people that make the most devoted and mature Christ followers are the ones who look at a holy God and they realize the enormous weight of their sin. And they take it to Jesus and they say, God, I need you. I need help. I need a savior. And Jesus says that her sins are many. He doesn't say, oh, it's, you're not that bad. He says her sins are many. She is clear. She is a sinner, but she is a sinner who is loved by God. And Jesus says that the one who forgives little loves little. Because the Pharisee doesn't see his need for Jesus. He's blinded by his view of himself. Self-righteous and judgmental people, they don't see their need for Jesus. And what God is saying here is that they don't really love God. And if you claim to love Jesus and you view yourself as better than everyone else, Jesus is saying you don't really love God that much. And it sounds harsh, but those are Jesus' words himself. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you think that you're better than everyone else, you don't honestly really love people that much. Because you just think that you're better than them. And that's not what love does. And so we have to choose who we identify with in this story. Do I identify with the Pharisee or do I identify with the prostitute? And a lot of us, we probably just want a middle ground, right? Like I'm like, hey, I'm not the Pharisee. I'm not having people over to my house just to argue about theology and to let all the commoners, the, the peasants out there. Like I'm not doing that. But we also look at ourselves and we think, well, I'm also not the prostitute, though. Like, I'm not that bad, am I? Like, surely I'm not guilty of that same kind of sin. And we kind of just like to try to find ourselves in a middle ground. But y'all, if you want to experience the depth of God's love and you want to love him deeply, you have to grow your view of God and the ugliness of your sin. And you have to look at yourself and think, I am just like the prostitute. It's uncomfortable, but we have to grow our view of God. Listen to God's power and his goodness. God is the God who spoke and creation leapt into existence. This is the God that is so holy and set apart that when people, like when he is around, there is a light that shines out from him that is so powerful that people can't even see him clearly. Because if they would, they'd die because they have sin. That is how powerful God is. He is the God who parts seas and calms storms right away. When Jesus was killed, it says the earth shook and the sky went entirely black. That is how powerful and holy and different God is than us. And then you look at that and you realize how good he is and how loving he is. Jesus on the cross, he's looking to the interest of other people. He's comforting the thief next to him saying, surely today you'll be with me in paradise. He's looking out for his mom saying, hey, John, my disciple, you're going to look after my mom now. He's forgiving the people that are killing him. The God of all the universe. That is the God that we've sinned against. The God who loves children and loves babies. And he's described as a loving father time and time again. And this is the God that we sin against. And then we have to look at our own sin. 
And this is uncomfortable. Because like the woman in the room, I'm sure that, or like the woman, I'm sure that there are a lot of things that us in this room that we're ashamed of. Maybe you're like the woman and you're living in sexual sin. Maybe you are addicted to pornography or masturbation. Maybe you have one night stands time and time again and you just feel empty as a result. Maybe you've sent nude photos of yourself and it's come back to bite you. Maybe you've cheated on your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Or maybe you had an unwanted pregnancy and you got an abortion or you pushed your girlfriend to get an abortion and you have never been able to open up with the pain and the regret and the shame that you feel inside. And, and maybe it's not even sexual sin. Maybe you just, you get blacked out and you just make a fool of yourself. And outwardly you kind of own it because you want to be the funny guy, but you hate it because you know everyone looks down on you because you're making mistakes. Or maybe you, you got in a hit and run and you broke something and you didn't tell anyone and you feel shame for that. Or maybe you, you lie at work and you're not actually the person that they hired you to be because you just want the job. And so you don't actually do the things that they asked you to do. And maybe you gossip and you constantly put other people down around you or you're just selfish and everything is about you. Maybe you just don't trust God and you're stressed all the time because you want control of your own life. And maybe you're just like the Pharisee and for the first time tonight, you're realizing that you are guilty of the sin of self-righteousness and pride and judgment and you're feeling the weight of how many people that you've hurt by being judgmental and how many people you've looked down on. And honestly, guys, some of those things, we look at them and you're like, can you even say that in the church? All of those sins are equally bad in the sight of a holy God. Every single one of them. And we like to look at it and think some are worse than others. And they're not. That's just not the case. And it's all done in the face of a holy and loving God. And it creates this massive debt that we can't even begin to hope and repay. So we have two options, right? Because this is a very heavy burden. You're like, Thank you, Nick, for making me aware of this. The first one, we look at it and we think, I'm not that bad, right? Like, these things aren't sin. They're not evil. I'm not that bad. And we lie to ourselves. And the burden's there, but we just kind of cover it up, right? And we cover it up in our minds and our hearts, and we just gloss over it. And that leads to all kinds of pain and judgment and self-righteousness. And we point the finger at other people trying to say, I'm better than all of them, so I'm not that bad. I'm not doing what they're doing, so I'm good. Or two... You feel the crushing weight of your shame and your guilt, and you know that you need help. And you want to come to Jesus, honestly, but you're just like, I don't think he'll accept me. Like, I don't even think he wants me. I'm just not good enough. But look at what Jesus says to the prostitute. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Says, but there were those at the table who began to, uh, began to say among themselves, who is this even forgives sins? Everyone's like, can he even say that? Can this guy actually forgive sins? And Jesus doesn't care. He looks right at the woman. And he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And this woman, she wanted a life of freedom, a life free from shame and guilt and being used. And she finds it in Jesus. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, do you want to know the message that Jesus was preaching on that day in the town that the woman heard that caused her to have such a crazy response 
Because it says it in Matthew 11. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my load is not hard to carry. Y'all, if you feel burdened by the weight of your sin, by the weight of your debt, Jesus can give you rest. If you have never made the decision to follow Jesus, and you've been trying to clean up your life, and you are desperately trying to escape that, and your life just keeps falling apart, and you realize that you can't clean yourself up, Jesus can give you rest from all of that. And he calls us to follow him and learn from him because he's gentle and humble. Look at how he treats the prostitute. He honors her. He shows her respect and care and love that, like I said, she has probably not gotten from a man in a very long time, if ever. And he looks at her and he values her. And then he calls her to a new way of life. He calls all of us to a new way of life. There is life change. Think about how unloving it would be for Jesus to look at her and say, hey, go back to living in sin and being a prostitute. It's not judgmental that he points out her sin. It's clear. He's giving her freedom. But he says this yoke is easy because it's free. And it's really easy to be forgiven because it's a free gift and we just have to ask it. And we don't clean ourselves up and we don't try to become, un like, we don't try to free ourselves from our shame or our guilt. We just take it to Jesus. And how can I know? I know this because of personal experience. I remember very, very vividly my life before Christ. I remember getting a call from my ex-girlfriend at 2 a.m. on a Tuesday night, and she's drunk, and she's calling me, and she's crying, asking, Nick, did you ever love me? And I had to say, no. And I remember thinking, who am I? I thought I would never do that. I thought I would never leave someone so hurt. And I started to look at my friends and realize that I was constantly using them for me. And I started to lie awake at night, and I was just fed up with the man that I was. And everything was about me, and I was lying to people. And all the time, I thought I was better than everyone else, too. I don't know how, but I did, because that's how deceitful sin is. And I looked at all of these things, and one day, it just broke. I just remember thinking, I'm just, God, I'm not good enough. And y'all, that is when the gospel clicked. That's when I realized for the first time that I don't have to be good enough because Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I realized that I can't try to obey Jesus' commands, but I need him to change my life. And I remember very vividly the night of October in 2012, making the decision to follow Jesus and weeping, not because I was sad, but because I was free for the first time. For the first time in forever, I was finally free. And so when you look at the woman and how she's weeping, she's not weeping because she's sad. She's weeping because she knows that she's loved. And she knows that she's free. And if you have not made the decision to follow Jesus, you can make that decision tonight. August 4th, 2022 can be the decision where you find freedom from your sin for the first time and you experience the weight of God's love. And Jesus looks at her and he tells her to go in peace. And this is the peace of knowing that her sins are forgiven and that she's not a slave to sin anymore and that she can live a new life. And if, that is not, if you are not a follower of Jesus tonight, that is your only application point. That is what you walk away from here taking, that God loves you and he's calling you to repentance and that you can live a new life.
And if you are a follower of Jesus, we have to ask ourselves, how do we live in light of this? How do we not live as judgmental people so that others can see the hope of Jesus in our lives? One, we have a correct view of God and of ourselves. We look at this story and we think, I'm the prostitute. I'm the one who's been forgiven greatly. And we continue to cultivate the view of our sin and the depth of our sin. And you put it to death, right? You go to war against your sin. But you realize how deep it runs. And every single time you uncover a new area of sin and every single time you see how deep it goes, you realize that God has forgiven you and that he loves you. And there's freedom in Christ. And that causes us to look at other people. And do you know how we look at other people? It says in Matthew 11 that Jesus is called a friend of tax collectors who were national traders at the time and of prostitutes. Those are the people that Jesus is friends with. And so what do we do? We be a friend to people. And if you're like, well, what does it mean to be a friend? Be a friend. You care about them. You show up. When they need someone to help them move, you show up and you help them move. You, you listen to them and you hear what they're going through. And you ask them genuinely and you care what's going on in your life. What can I do for you? And you, you be honest with them. You show them about how your life has changed. You tell them about that. And, and you laugh with them. Like have fun. Do fun things with people. You don't have to laugh at things that are sinful to be friends with people who are not followers of Jesus. Trust me. And then you don't only open up to them about how God changed your life once, but you continue to tell them, hey, can I tell you what God has been pointing out in my life? Can I tell you about how I just realized that I've been selfish in this area and how he's changing me and transforming me? And you view them as how God views them. You see them just like yourself, a sinner in need of a loving and holy Savior. And you call them to repentance. You tell them the truth of God's word. And you say, because this has meant so much to me, and because I love you so much, I want you to know the same thing that's given me freedom. And you don't back down from that. But you be a friend and you just show up and you love these people and you respect them and you treat them well. Jesus welcomed the prostitute. And if we are going to show people who Jesus actually is, we have to show them what Jesus has actually done. And I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know if you are the person who has never experienced the freedom of God's forgiveness, and you're just thinking, man, I need to be free. You can be free tonight. I don't know if you're the judgmental person who looks at all Christians, and you look at me, and this entire time, you've been thinking, Nick, you are absolutely crazy for actually thinking that. Can I tell you, I genuinely love that you're here. I really do. I hope you come up and talk to me, and I hope I get to know you and hear what's going on in your life. I really genuinely mean that. Maybe you're the Christian and you realize that you've been very, very judgmental towards others. And you need to repent and you need to go to God and realize that his forgiveness is there for you, but you need to turn away from your sin. And maybe you're a mature Christian that you just need to be reminded that the gospel is powerful and that it is beautiful and that no one is free or no one is, is too far gone. No one can ever be too far gone that God's love cannot save them. I don't know where you're at tonight, but I know that God wants to do something in every single one of you. Every single person in this room, 